Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Friday, March 3rd, 2023, and it is the first day of the Combine. There's so much going on in the NFL right now. News flying out at the Combine from coaches, players, GMs, everybody. Before we get into everything, got to remind y'all, check out all of our social accounts. Make sure you give us a follow. Stay updated on everything Second and Short. Make sure you join the new subreddit, r slash second 2 nd and A-N-D short. Um, let's see what else. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify, make sure you give us five stars. And make sure you're following on there as well. If you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Luke, you ready to get into it? We got a lot of stuff to go through. Let's do it, man. I'm ready. All right. We'll start it off. NFL news. Titans GM Rand Carthon said that Tannehill, in quotes, is a Titan and will be a Titan. That's fucking stupid. I like how you put after it, there you go, (laughs) because that's exactly what I thought of. Um, Bleak Willis obviously wasn't the answer. Uh, We got to see surprisingly a lot of him last season, but Tannehill isn't either. Um, He's only gotten older, only gotten worse. I don't know why the Titans wouldn't want to look at other options. Yeah, like, look, you're paying him a... a Pretty big amount of money for Ryan Tannehill. I believe he's somewhere in the high 20s, low 30s, which is way too much for some guy that doesn't throw the ball. So he can be a Titan, but he shouldn't be the starting quarterback. Exactly. Um, And with, you know, a really, really good quarterback, like free agency market um, and draft, really, there's a lot of quarterbacks around, you know, that could be, could end up on different NFL teams. And I, I, I don't know why the Titans are playing it passively because I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I can't remember, you know, a time in the NFL where there were, where there was this good of a quarterback draft class and this good of um this, like the amount of good quarterbacks in the free agency is ridiculous this year. And the Titans are just, you know, pretty much playing dead. I, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And outside of just free agency, the draft has some solid QB options. Obviously it's a little bit more top heavy in a lot of those teams up there at the top or looking quarterback, but there's guys in the second round, even late first, that could be starters. Uh, a lot of options there. I'm blanking on his name right now, but the kid out of Stanford looks really good. People really like him. Obviously, like Max Duggan, Hendon Hooker, uh, a lot later in the draft, Stetson Bennett. Guys like those, like those are the kind of guys you can draft. Yeah, sure, you can let Tannehill play over him for a little bit, But if you see just a glimpse of something good, give him a shot because Tannehill does not have that job locked up. Yeah, um, I I think, you know, with the Titans, they were, you know, had a good first start of the season, horrible um, second half of the season. I don't know why you're playing it passively because they they had a a round even record. They weren't completely horrible. And with a good quarterback, who knows what, you know, it could do for them. But they're just playing it too passively, I think. They should be more aggressive. Yeah, we'll just have to see what they do because you're right. There's a lot of things that need to happen with this Titans team to get back to where they were just a few years ago. Like they were one seed in the AFC just a couple of years ago. And what? They made an AFC championship game, right? And it took the Chiefs to beat them. Yeah, like they, they were a fantastic team. And now it just seems like they've lost everything. And on top of it, they're letting people leave. You know, they cut Taylor Lewan. Obviously, he's been dealing with tons of stuff over the last couple of years, so he wasn't quite worth the money you're paying him. 
You also cut Robert Woods, who obviously seemed like he wanted to go. But, yeah, it just seems like the Titans are in a really weird spot right now. And it looks like all they've really got right now is Derrick Henry. Yeah, and they traded A.J. Brown. Yep. Never going to let them live that one down. Oh, no. And dude ended up being a Super Bowl champion. So, I I don't understand the Titans because, you know, we could go on and on. They're, in my opinion, they're not the worst team in the NFL. They have a good group of guys, but there needs to be a lot of changes that are made. And I think it needs to start with the quarterback. I, you know, I respect them for sticking with Tannehill because he was there. You know, uh, he was the quarterback when they were in that AFC championship game against the Chiefs. But he's not doing it, and they need to be more aggressive. All right. Well, let's talk about this headline because it, it kind of goes back to something a couple weeks ago uh, involving the Super Bowl. Uh, Ex-NFL groundskeeper George Toma, who I believe I might be wrong on this. Um, just a few years back, he retired. But uh, before that, he was in charge of um, the groundskeeping for every Super Bowl um, for the entire his entire career with the NFL. He came out and said that the field for the Super Bowl was overwatered. That was the problem. It wasn't the grass itself, but the fact that they overwatered it in preparation. I just can't believe that we've had issues um two years in a row you know you had um odell tear his acl uh in the previous super bowl and then there's more issues with the ground uh with the grass in this past super bowl just uh i don't understand all the craze around it it just i mean it's just a field (laughs) yeah i i don't get it um you know just let them play on a normal field let them play on whatever was already there because what's the use in you know growing grass for 10 years to put in in the NFL stadium. And then I have a feeling they probably took it away because the Cardinals didn't pay for it. Yeah. It just really strange. And I, I mean, I get it. Like the kind of going back to what I said earlier, like the, the field is important. I'm not saying that the field isn't important. I just don't understand how you can't get it right. I mean, you know, you and I obviously not professional sports players, but you know, you were a baseball player. I was a soccer player. Yeah, we played on bad fields, but like it wasn't it wasn't ever as big of a deal as it is in the NFL. And like it's such a big um, deal whenever you talk about injuries, especially. And I don't know. I just I don't I don't understand how they can't get the field right. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of like people wanting to one up each other. That's kind of the culture of professional sports at this point, especially when it comes to like your franchise and your facilities. It's all about one upping, you know, whoever did it best. And they just want to keep improving. And in that takes experimentation. I just feel like you shouldn't be experimenting in the Super Bowl. Exactly. I, I think, honestly, the next one, let them play like in mud or something. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, let them play. I don't know if you ever watched um, Deion Sanders did like a small like documentary thing with Barstool when he first got the job at Jackson State. Their Their practice field that they played on was grass and it, it was just like uneven as fuck like wow. thin grass suit like a bunch of mounds <laughs> they should play on that for the super bowl take it back to yeah, like I jim do. brown days i feel like that's what he played on <laughs> yeah that's why he was so good man that's the mud brings out the running backs i think it'd be fun have two running backs in the super bowl that are just awesome playing in the mud that awesome. sounds like a fantastic time let's get into this though Giants GM Joe Schoen hopes to avoid franchise tags for Daniel Jones and Saquon, which 
makes sense, but it, it doesn't seem like that is likely, at least on Daniel Jones's side, because right now they're way off in their negotiations. Um, the Giants front office has met with Daniel Jones' new agents um, the last three or four days. They're going to continue to meet with them to try and bring them down a little bit, but I, I believe Daniel Jones is looking for 45, which is what Patrick Mahomes is being paid. He just, he's not worth that. I don't get why this is such a big problem. I get Daniel Jones had one hell of a year. He didn't have a Patrick Mahomes level year. Yeah. Um. And, and another uh, problem that I have with this is like, if can you even, can the Giants even avoid franchise tagging both of these players? Do they, do they have the money? lock up both of them on long-term deals this time around instead of getting one and franchise tagging the other. I don't know if they do, especially with, you know, what Daniel Jones is asking for. Yeah, I think that there's probably some restructuring they could do with some contracts right now. They don't have too much money on the books. Think about it. Like, there's not a lot of stars outside of Saquon on this team. And then, you know, nobody's going to be making money like Daniel Jones on that team. So... You could, but the problem I see here is if you do avoid those franchise tags, then you're going to be running it real close to the cap. You don't have the money to make other moves, which is obviously needed. We saw that, yeah, they played fantastic last year and definitely exceeded a lot of people's expectations, but if they want to get to the next level, there's a whole lot of things they got to address. And let's say... I think the most likely situation is you get Saquon on a relatively short-term deal because he's a running back. You know, you wouldn't typically sign them to a long-term deal. You franchise tag Daniel Jones for this season, see how he plays next year, and then you could look towards a full extension. Yeah, um, I, I would like to see how Daniel Jones can play, you know, with a better offensive line and maybe, you know, some better receivers, better tight ends. Because I, I don't think we've obviously seen Daniel Jones' full potential, but doesn't need to be making Patrick Mahomes money yet. Yeah, not at all. But um, let's talk about this real quick. Andy Reid uh, came out and said, I'm so happy for Eric Bieniemy to have a chance to put his name on an offense. I'm I'm glad that Andy Reid is totally fine with his coordinators leaving. I think he's very aware that he can be flexible with the talent he has on this roster. But for Eric Bieniemy. It's pro it's probably pretty nice to have the support of, you know, your former boss for however many years. Uh be out here and just, you know, kind of rooting for you. Yeah, it seems like his number one supporter, honestly. And it's just cool to see, you know, Andy Reid, he's been a head coach for a while. He's been an awesome head coach for a while. And, you know, it's just cool to see him root for, you know, guys that came from his tree. Because I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, I mean they, I'm sure they learned a lot for you. Um, selfishly, I'm sure it'd be cool to see them succeed in some way, honestly. But I don't know. It's just it's cool to hear Andy Reid say that. Yep. And then the Bengals GM, Duke Tobin, uh, was asked about the contract extension for Joe Burrow. Said it's not done yet, but it will get done. And I think it's likely that it's done this offseason. Um, they already said that they're not going to give up T. Higgins, which some people thought was the case to open up some more money for Joe Burrow. But I think that in this situation, they talked to Joe Burrow and was like, okay, well, if you want 
you can take a pay cut and we can keep T. Higgins so that you still have him as a weapon. And I'm sure Joe Burrow was fine with that. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that is like, no, nah, you can get rid of him so I can make more money. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, though, and this was a couple months ago, Bill's GM, uh, Braden Bean, I think is his name, quoted, um, they have a good team right now but they have an advantage of having a uh, rookie quarterback contract on their team. And it just kind of makes me wonder, and this is, I, I guess, kind of a question for you, Grayson, is obviously Burrow's going to get his bag, right? It's probably going to be stupid money. But just offensively alone, this Bengals team is loaded with talent that is more deserving of, you know, pretty good contracts themselves, I would say. You know, you got Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, uh, I want to say maybe a couple good offensive linemen like Lyle Collins might, you know, want more money eventually. They are losing Jesse Bates this year. Or no, yeah, they are going to lose Jesse Bates this year, I believe. But what do you think a Joe Burrow contract extension means for some of the rest of the guys on the football team? I think that there's not a lot of guys that should be threatened by that move whatsoever, especially when it comes to their contracts themselves. I think the Bengals are going to do what's in the best interest for this franchise in general which is signing Joe Burrow long-term. That is your best option. Obviously, they'll get to Jamar Chase when they can, which will probably be next year because uh, that's the first year he'll be eligible to restructure. But when it comes to guys like Joe Mixon, I believe he was paid last year. I could be wrong, um, but I don't think he needs to be paid immediately. Uh, T. Higgins, he's locked up. Uh, pretty sure Tyler Boyd is on something short term, but I feel like Tyler Boyd is the most expendable of the three. Uh, I'd be most willi- like, uh, willing to give up Tyler Boyd out of that group. But yeah, I, I feel like when it comes to this offense, I think they all understand that they're there for one reason, and it's Joe Burrow. And... I don't know. I think they should be able to accept the fact that he's going to get the bag. Yeah. I, I just think that with the really the free agent market in the entire world of sports right now, I just think it kind of leans more towards, you know, if this guy gets paid, then I'm not going to be around, you know, type thing. And it just kind of, I don't know. It just makes me wonder, you know, what this Bengals offense could look like after this uh, Joe Burrow contract, um, you know, after he gets signed to a huge deal. Cause I mean, all across sports in the entire world, you know, dudes are getting paid. And I feel like players are becoming more aggressive in their, you know, negotiations. So, I don't know. It was just something interesting I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a possibility that if Joe Burrow is extended in this offseason, he becomes the highest paid quarterback of all time. I think that's most definitely a possibility, honestly, more than, more than it's not. But... Um, I think at the same time, the Bengals and Joe Burrow are going to do what's best for the franchise, especially because Burrow is most definitely going to sign something long-term. So it's not just him that he has to worry about here. It's the rest of this team's future. And obviously he is the biggest part of it, but he understands that if he takes a little bit less money, that means they can pick up some other guy where they need it. And um, it, it kind of is all on how Joe Burrow feels, which is crazy to say that, you know, their third year, you know, going into his fourth year quarterback, everything that's happening with this franchise relies on what he, like what decisions he makes. 
Um, definitely makes sense though. I, you know, he's taken them to uh, their first Super Bowl in like what forty years or like thirty nine years, something like that. Yeah, it, it was something ridiculous like that, and I have a feeling he's not done. Yeah, probably not. Unfortunately, <laughs> Eagles GM Howie Roseman had something. Uh, had to say a little bit about the QB sneak. It seemed like all of the Eagles staff that talked at the combine this week was getting asked about it just because of how flawlessly the Eagles run that play. And he said that it shouldn't be outlawed just because it works. And I'm kind of in the same boat here. I don't know how you feel about the QB sneak, but I feel like you can't just penalize the one team that does it right when everybody else could, they just don't. I, yeah, I don't get it either. I, I just can't stand like this, like, I don't know. I hate soft comments like this. No, the QB sneak should not be disallowed. Get interior defensive linemen that will fucking eat a quarterback. <laughs> like, just stop it. I mean, of course, in the Super Bowl, it literally looked like a cheat code with how, you know, well the Eagles were running it. But, I mean, there are definitely defensive, uh, you know, interior linemen that are good enough to stop QB sneaks. You just got to find them. Yeah, that'd be I, like. I think it's something that defenses are just going to have to, you know, adapt and game plan to it. Yeah, it'd be like after the 2017 Super Bowl that the Eagles won, being like, "Uh, you can't throw to the quarterback." Exactly. Um. Yeah. Just. I mean. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Get better at football, and this wouldn't yeah. be a conversation. <laughs> exactly. It'd be different if it was like the horse collar tackle, but. This yeah. is just like this is just a play that like they created rules to allow it to happen at this level that they're doing it because people have been QB sneaking forever. But in recent history, they you know allowed people to push from the back and it's made the play 10 times easier to convert on. Yeah. And I mean, I would even make the argument that the QB sneak is one of the most like it's one of the most fun um, kind of like goal line short down situation plays like you can watch like, you know, you'll have quarterbacks like, you know, Big Ben Roethlisberger jumping over their offensive line instead of going low. It, it just, you know, I feel like it creates a lot of like cool moments in the game. And yeah, I don't know why it should be taken out. Yeah, I 100% agree. Something interesting that I, I didn't really realize was such a possibility this offseason, but it looks like DeAndre Hopkins is on the trade market. Um, a couple of agents um, said that the Cardinals are looking for at least a second round pick and a conditional pick for DeAndre Hopkins, which is super low. But it looks like one of the teams to watch out for in the sweepstakes is the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> a part of me really actually would like to see this happen. <laughs> I don't think anybody else in the league would like to see it happen. Well, DeAndre Hopkins, he, he's been one of those guys that, like, despite, like, his quarterback troubles his entire career, he's been, you know, one of the best of my lifetime. And here, actually, Grayson, I have a list for you. This is These are all of the quarterbacks that DeAndre Hopkins has caught a pass from since he's been in the NFL. Uh, Matt Schaub, Ace Keenum, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Mallett, Brian Hoyer, TJ Yates, Brandon Whedon, Brock Osweiler, Tom Savage. Deshaun Watson is probably the first – Really good quarterback on this list, but I wouldn't even really say that he was like one of the best in the league with DeAndre Hopkins. Might be a hot take, he was. but it's just my opinion. No, he was. Okay, well, we, we disagree. <laughs> AJ McCarron, uh, Kyler Murray, you know, iffy. 
Colt McCoy and these two, I'm, I actually don't know of, but David Blau and Trace McSorley both got um, g- uh, game time this past season. I yes. don't know if he ever, you know, played or caught a pass with DeAndre Hopkins, but those quarterbacks um, are not very good. And I think if DeAndre Hopkins was finally able to get a stable elite quarterback, I mean, especially like Patrick Mahomes, I, I don't even, I mean, that that would just be stupid good. <laughs> Yeah, I can confirm that David Blau and Trace McSorley both started games late in the season for the Cardinals. So um, I would assume that DeAndre Hopkins caught a ball from both of them. So, yeah, that's a ridiculous list. Um, yeah, I look, DeAndre Hopkins is a generational talent. There's no doubt in that. But what other teams do you think should be looking at trading for DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, I mean, shit, Baltimore. Um Who's another team without wide receivers? Tennessee. Uh, I mean, those are just two off the top of my head. What do you think? I don't know. I think both of those are very conditional because DeAndre Hopkins can kind of choose where he wants to be traded at this point because he kind of has that veteran role where the team's not just going to trade him to some random team for a second rounder and a conditional pick if he doesn't want to go there. He gets that respect. So if the Titans don't pick up a new quarterback, I wouldn't want to go there. And if Lamar leaves, I don't want to be in Baltimore. Did you see Huntley in the Pro Bowl, though? I did. <laughs> oh, man. He was actually surprisingly pretty good. but He was. Yeah, I'll admit yeah, it. Not, not somewhere where I think DeAndre Hopkins would want to go. And I, I think personally... Andre Hopkins probably wants to play with an elite quarterback at this point. Yeah, he deserves it at this like at this stage in his career. He deserves to play with a star quarterback. All of the best wide receivers at some point played with a top tier quarterback, and he just hasn't gotten that opportunity. Maybe the Packers. Yeah, but Rodgers might leave. That's the like, that's the problem right now. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I think he'll stay. <laughs> if Aaron Rodgers stays, I, that could be pretty cool. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. Uh, before sure. we do talk about Rodgers, though, Eagles, they have hired their defensive coordinator, Sean Desai. I believe he was um, with the Seahawks prior to this. Uh, I could be wrong there. But um, I think this is a fantastic move. They've kind of gone still – relatively young on their coordinator. So they still have a pretty young coaching staff, which i like to see. And, but there's also still NFL experience here. And they kept a lot of their secondary coaches. Not too many of them have left. So I, I really do like where, you know, what, what holes have been filled by the Eagles. Yeah. Um, just looking at Sean Desai right now, he actually spent like a good seven, actually, Oh, eight years with uh, Chicago, and he was their defensive coordinator in 2021, but that was his only year, and then he went to Seattle and was their associate head coach and defensive assistant. So, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because, <clears throat> look, the Eagles, obviously, they kind of got their house cleaned. It's like somebody broke in and robbed them, but <laughs> – yeah, you lose your offensive coordinator, you lose your defensive coordinator, you lost a couple of assistants, but not too many. 
Uh, you promote your quarterback's coach to the offensive coordinator role, and now you go for an outside hire, a defensive coordinator. I still think they made the right moves, but I, I do have to commend Nick Sirianni for not letting the coordinators that left for head coaching jobs take a bunch of assistant coaches because Sirianni really had to pitch these guys to not follow uh, Gannon and Steichen to their respective teams. So it shows the leadership of Sirianni amongst his coaches. And I think it kind of shows the front office as well as Sirianni's willingness to kind of stay at the same level they were at despite the losses they had. I I think Sean Desai is a he'll be a decent defensive coordinator for them. I, I just think that they may have gone too young. I mean, they've lost, you know, both their offensive and their defensive coordinator this year. I feel like they, they might need a little bit more experience in, um, in like one of those coordinator roles to, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know, like piece together the, the losses that they've had in their coaching uh, this past off season. But I don't know. It, it could work out. I mean, you know, the young guys can can be good sometimes. I don't. I don't know. I'm very fifty fifty on this one. I think. Yeah, and, and look, we're in a very developing stage right now in this league. It, it's a whole different ball game, and I think we're kind of settling into this new era with the the young quarterbacks we have, and it, it seems like the success across the NFL right now is by the youth. And look, we're seeing young head coaches like Sirianni and, and like Sean McVay is still young. Like there's so many guys out there right now that are talented and they're young. And I think it just proves that we've shifted into this spot where the youth is going to be the front runner in, in a lot of scenarios for head coaching and just coaching jobs in general. And I kind of think it's a good thing. I mean, it is entertaining, you know, coming from a team, a fan of a team that, you know, hired Mike Tomlin. He was super young and he's still the head coach. I just wonder, like, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think a lot of these young guys that are getting hired in today's game will stick around for a while? Or do you think we'll see, you know, with younger coaches and younger coordinators, like a higher turnover rate as far as teams like kind of passing coordinators around? I don't know, because, look, there's there's always going to be a head coaching jobs open. so. It's it's hard to be a, a struggling franchise that, like, let's just use the Texans for an example. D'Amico Ryans is very young, and I think he is more than qualified to be a head coach. But on the other uh, like side of the spectrum, the Broncos have a ton of talent on their team. They just needed the leadership to bring it together, so they went for a veteran head coach. They brought Sean Payton out of retirement. But I just think that different teams are in different situations, and that's what changes the head coaching roles because, like with my two examples there, the Texans are a historically bad franchise that don't have a lot of talent on their roster. Why not go young? You have time to develop. You have time to get more pieces. And as you get to the point, or you know, possibly get to the point where you're successful, D'Amico Ryans will have numerous years under his belt as your head coach, and your quarterback, who you're most likely picking in this draft, will have multiple years under his belt, and then you'll have your entire team together 
And those guys at some point will be seasoned veterans. That That is a good point. But on the other side of that, you know, the Texans right now are a very young team, but they're also very bad. I kind of feel like maybe an older guy with young coordinators would be the best way to go. And like an older coach, young coordinators. I think it's good for coordinators to kind of grow with their teams. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes they leave after one or two years. But I don't know. I, I think for specifically the Texan situation, I would value an older head coach to kind of try to like establish, you know, a certain mentality in the team, establish, um, you know, some good habits, just, just someone who is old and classic and, you know, can kind of get the job done instead of someone who's young and can like kind of have fun with the team, I guess. Yeah, I think that my appeal to young head coaches is that they can be a little bit more like flexible, like they're able to, you know, admit that things might go wrong and they're able to just kind of eat their mistakes and work on it. Whereas if you bring in an old guy who's been successful in the past and they're not doing well, how do we know that he's going to feel like they can get back on track? That's a really good point. And I've kind of noticed that too, is that younger head coaches are so much better at adapting and changing their game while someone that's been around for a while you know, I, I don't want to kind of say stuck in their ways, because in some ways, you know, that way may have won a team a Super Bowl or two, but they don't really change that much. So that's a good point that you brought up there. Yeah. Like, look at the Shanahan's and McVeigh's compared to, I don't know, like Belichick. The, yeah. These teams, like McVeigh, made it to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff, got rid of a ton of talent, brought in Matthew Stafford. And then won a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. Bill Belichick lost Tom Brady. They haven't brought in shit. Not really. Not really. But I will say, you know, and this is kind of, uh, I think we've talked about this with McVay um, in an earlier podcast, but, you know, these younger head coaches, I think sometimes they can get worn down in a lot of ways. And we've seen that with McVay. Wasn't he kind of like uh, rumored to retire this year already? Yeah, but like, I think that's just a matter of like, that's just who Sean McVay is. Is like he's gonna sit here and like make jokes about like, well, maybe I could just be done with this. I already won a Super Bowl and a coach of the year, like whatever. He's not gonna retire like anytime soon, I don't think. But at the same time, you know, he's got his bag, he's got a Super Bowl, he's got whatever you could get as a head coach, and you know, what's the use of keep it going? Yeah, that is true. All right, well, we've gone on a little bit too long with this, so <laughs> let's just move on. So the Bucks plan to release Leonard Fournette when the new league year begins on March 15th. I think this is a smart move by Tampa. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like Leonard Fournette you know, is really going anywhere at this point. He's still relatively young. I think he's only 28, but it, it just seems like he's not going you know, up. He's kind of peaked. I would actually argue that he's gotten worse. Um, trust me, I know. In that 2017 divisional game against the Steelers, I watched Leonard Fournette just run all over the fucking Steelers. And I, I don't know. I feel like with Tampa, he's kind of regressed into like a systematic running back instead of how you know special he can be. But you know, the Buccaneers have always kind of had like a good running back duo slash trio kind of thing going on. And you know, with them releasing him, they have Rashad White, who was a rookie last year. 
I think he was awesome. I think Rashad White had a better season than Leonard Fournette last year, in my opinion. Let Rashad White be a running back one. So I kind of see this as a different opportunity for a running back. I see this as the Bucks are going to take B. John Robinson in the first round. Oh, wow. Because, look, he was kind of he, – he is deserving of a, a higher-ranked pick in this draft, 100%. But there's not a team that needs a running back or their primary need is a running back anywhere near the top. So if he falls to, I believe, 15, so where the Bucks sit right now, it, it would only make sense. Look, he's a generational talent at running back, but it's just not a need of people higher in the draft right now. Is Bijan Robinson, like, 15 round one good enough? Because I oh, remember they, oh, were yeah. saying the same, I was, they were saying the same thing about Najee. And I thought Najee was a god going into the draft, but they were even saying like, oh, he could maybe slip to the second round. I don't know. Is he really that good? Yes, he is. And it's uh, it's not just on like the running back level. It's on the all-purpose level as well. Uh, he didn't get a ton of looks in the receiving game at Texas, but he has that ability. But just the way that he played in college on top of how he measures – the build, like everything is going Bijan Robinson's way. I I really do think the Buccaneers could take him there at 15. I mean, I like it, you know, but they still have to address that quarterback situation. Of course, you know, especially with Jalen uh, Carter maybe slipping in the draft, we don't know if there's going to be any quarterbacks left at, um, you know, 15. Or to your point, draft Bijan Robinson round one and wait for one of those second round quarterbacks to come by. I don't know. The Buccaneers have a lot of options, but this is a pretty crucial offseason for them. So they're going to have to get it figured out, I think, now, because they already have a good team. It's just those two kind of key pieces that I think are going to keep them, you know, like a 500-ish team. Yeah. We'll just have to see. All right, Luke, let's sound the horny alarms. Yep. Horny button (laughs) on NFL films. Horny button. They're horny as fuck. They maintained a database of cheerleaders' butts, breasts, and cleavage shots. Uh, this is uh, now part of a lawsuit. Uh, the New York Post was reporting on this. Uh, an extensive database of raunchy footage that lingered on cheerleaders' breasts and buttocks, according to a bombshell lawsuit that comes straight from the New York Post. What the fuck? Yeah, that's... Why Why did they have, like a like, a file for that? Yeah. Um, that's horrible. It is wild. And let's see. So the suit alleges the NFL films, which bolstered the league's popularity with. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Um, they used timestamps to catalog clips that included cheerleaders, butts, rear ends, uh, a female fan in a bikini top, uh, naughty camera work, a close up of cheerleaders, breasts, cleavage shot and shot of quote unquote endowed women. Um, this is fucking horrible. Yeah. Like, I don't under, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Why y'all saving this shit? Exactly. <laughs> Porn is free, brother. Exactly. And NFL films, like, that just sucks because they, they make some of the coolest videos. Oh, yeah. So why, why you gotta go and tarnish your name like that? Come on. It is bad. All right. Enough of... People being horny. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. 
He said that he's going to make his decision, in quotes, soon enough. If you think I'm being a diva, just tune it out. All right, and then he also said, I'm under contract with the Packers. So if I decide to play, first it's a conversation with them and asking, you know, where are you guys at? I've been there for 18 years and have so much love for the organization and Green Bay. 18 years. That's a teenager. First of all, that's crazy. Yeah. Second of all, long time. Packers GM seems to not even need this conversation. He was talking to the Combine, and he said that Jordan Love is ready to start and needs to play. So uh, it seems like <laughs> it seems like Rodgers and the Packers organization are not quite on the same path right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of guys in the Packers organization that, you know, have considered, you know, making their decisions and dark room in the forest or whatever the fuck he did <laughs> precisely um, that yeah. i do this is such a big deal and i don't i don't like the packers gm comment here i i really don't i i rogers has completely earned the right to do what he's doing right now you know it's between retirement packers or playing with someone else i don't like the packers gm comment i, I don't like his comment at all here yeah it, it's it's one of a series of different GMs around the league really slipping up at this combine. They have really given the NFL media quite a lot to talk about, and this is just the beginning of it. Because, look, I agree. Jordan Love is a, a, a pretty good quarterback, and I think he can be great. Maybe he is ready to start. Maybe he does need to play. Guess who's still on your fucking team? One of the best quarterbacks of all time. It just, I don't know. I, oh, it doesn't Jordan make Love, sense to me. Jordan Love doesn't have a place in this league. I, I'm going to disagree with you here, Grayson. I don't think he's the answer. Um, I, I, it would be cool to see more of him. I just doubt it. I doubt him. Um, but I have like a little, I have another hypothetical for you, Grayson. Uh, on my Instagram feed, I saw Aaron Rodgers uh, photoshopped into a Jets jersey. I just have this question for you. I think this is a this could be an interesting topic here. If Aaron Rodgers was to play for the New York Jets, Grayson, yes, how do you think that would shake up the AFC East? Because you have a Dolphins team when healthy, it's pretty fucking good, and a Bills team that is also really fucking good. Where do you think the Jets would finish in the AFC East with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback? Well, Luke, you might not remember this, but I have addressed this to you before. Um, in a little stakier really? claim, I said that if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, they have the opportunity to win that division. And I fully believe that. Okay. Look, I think I that like the Bills, if they're not going to make changes, they're just stupid. Things did not go the way that they should have in the playoffs last year. And it comes down to the leadership. So if they're not going to change offensive coordinators or at least diversify that game plan. I don't see them being successful over a full season. Dolphins. I think I, I remember this staker claim now. <laughs> yes. And, and then the Dolphins, they're in a weird spot too because uh, something that we'll talk about, I'll just go ahead and talk about it. So the Dolphins GM uh, was asked about if there's any concerns about two attack of Iloa's durability. He said, I can't lie and say no but it's not something that's going to make us afraid to do something long-term. 
So it's in the back of their minds in the front office of the Dolphins that Tua can't stay on the field. How do we know that he's going to be good to go next season? We saw him lying on the ground, fully concussed, twice. How do we know that like he can lead this team next year? So I can't, I can't get those fingers out of my head, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is a, a gruesome image. Yeah. And then I, I don't need to say anything about the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, Bill Belichick is their head coach. <laughs> they sure do. It's too bad that McCorkle Jones is their quarterback. I like it. I like it. But yeah, my bad. I, I forgot about my staker claim. Uh, I, I remembered it as you were talking. I yeah. don't know. Dolphins look really exciting, but it just, you know, it comes down to that durability. And these pass rushers are only getting more vicious, it seems like. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Let's talk about Derek Carr, though, the other big quarterback on the market. And I'm willing to say he's a big quarterback. I'm not saying yeah. he's fantastic. But he met with the Saints and Panthers yesterday. Um, he met with Carolina's owner. Um, yeah, or Sorry, that was two days ago. Yesterday, he met with the Jets. Um, and let's see, who else? Okay, so that appears to be the only three. So Jets, Saints, Panthers is who he has already met up with in Indianapolis. Look. Derek Carr has got a whole lot of teams looking at him right now. It's going to be a hard decision. Yeah, um, more so than Aaron Rodgers, you know, surprisingly. Maybe it's because Aaron Rodgers, you know, went into the darkness for a couple of days. But Derek Carr, you know, he seems to have, like, more teams to choose from. Um, kind of cool that the Saints and Panthers are kind of bidding uh, against each other, though, for him. I think that's pretty interesting. Um yeah, I, I don't know what it, he could go anywhere, but I don't. If he goes to the Saints. They they probably still won't be a playoff team. Same with the Panthers. Maybe the Jets. He could kind of fit in and be good, but I think the Jets, um, at least next season, if they were to go into that season with Derek Carr, I think it would be kind of similar to Oakland. They they wouldn't. They'd have a better record than Oakland, but we can all agree that Oakland has talent and they're fun to watch. I just don't know if they would have, you know, much to show for it if he was to go to the, uh, the Jets. Yeah, there's improvements that need to be done in New York before anybody is going to play at that top level. But I think Derek Carr, I think his best fit is the Saints, personally. They've got a, a decent enough offensive line to protect him. He's got wide receivers with Olave. Uh, Jarvis Landry isn't great. And then, of course, Slant Boy himself. Uh, if he could stay on the field. But, yeah, I I feel like New Orleans is his best fit. But I'd kind of like to see him in Carolina. What is that? I don't know. There's something about Derek Carr and Blue that makes me you know, want to see that. He does have that country accent. Dude, I'm saying. A little bit of one, I think, right? Doesn't he have one? I don't know. Every Every time he's talking, he's just talking about, like, God. So I just yeah. kind of tuned it out. I kind of assumed he was Southern Baptist. <laughs> he probably is. Yeah, but I, this is another interesting one, though. Um, I, you know, I don't want it to be overlooked by the Aaron Rodgers situation because, like you said earlier, Derek Carr, you know, he is still a big quarterback. Um, and, hey, if he goes to the Jets, he'll be a Hall of Famer. That's true. They assured him of that. 
and they literally promised it to him. But he has to win. If he goes to the Jets and wins, he could be a first exactly. ballot Hall of Famer. That's such bullshit. <laughs> it really is I can't take that claim life. seriously whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> I can't either. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. So Texas Tech edge uh, and top five projected in some mock drafts, Tyree Wilson, said that he's met with the Bears twice, including one um, where um, it was said that he fits the Eberflus mold. Um, this is interesting because – if the Bears are meeting with edge rushers, it makes me see in and we already kind of know they're shopping the first pick. But if Tyree Wilson is the case, that means that they're most likely not going to trade with the Texans because in that case, you'd take Will Anderson. But you know, it maybe they're looking at a spot probably near like the five to to nine in the draft. So that means that maybe they trade with um you know Raiders, Falcons possibly possibly Panthers, those are kind of the three teams there. So I don't know, there there's kind of no telling where they could trade to, but there's a couple of teams that might be interested in getting that one. I you know, obviously it's up to the Bears and you know who they want to trade with, but I thought Indianapolis were were kind of like the front runners in trying to get this pick. Okay, so I was kind of in the same boat um, and then their GM during the combine has kind of talked about how, like, they know what they'll do with the fourth pick because, you know, if things stand the way they, they are right now, and let's say the Bears don't go quarterback, then you're still going to get the second best quarterback because the Cardinals aren't going to go quarterback. So they're in an interesting spot. If they really feel like the guy that they just is exceptionally better than the the next is going to be taken at one, they'll trade up. But they're going to have to give up some decent value, probably future first round picks or, uh, you know, a second this year on top of their pick to get to one. Because look, though one and four are not far apart, it's huge difference in value. Especially this season, you know, with all the quarterbacks. I just um I was gonna I was gonna make a point to something that you just said. Totally forgot. Oh, if the Bears take quarterback, I will apply for an NFL GM job. <laughs> because <laughs> I that would literally that would just piss me off so much if the Bears drafted a quarterback. Yeah, when their when their running back was like seventh in the league, or their quarterback, sorry, was seventh in the league in rushing yards, and honestly kept him it kept him in a ton of games, though they were the worst team in the league. He kept a lot of games close when they should have got their ass kicked. Dude, it felt like for four weeks straight, Chicago or um, Justin Fields had a play that was like the coolest play of the week. That week for like four weeks in a row it was it was absolutely ridiculous if yeah. they trade quarterback i'm done I'm, I'm actually i'm gonna apply i'm not done i'm going to join the nfl <laughs> yeah you you will already have a job <laughs> exactly if they do that maybe you could get the the bears job i would love that absolutely love that there's a lot of know. things that i could do with this team not a fan of the cold or i'm not a fan of that cold i i prefer it to be cold not that cold all right, let's talk about Jalen Carter. This whole situation is so crazy. Um, yeah. So the UGA player, of course, Jalen Carter, 
possibly number one overall pick, definitely a top four, was charged with reckless driving and racing in connection to the deadly crash that um, ended up in resulting in the death of uh, a Georgia personnel staff as well as a Georgia player. And it's been reported that he was present at the scene of the crash. Uh, he was scheduled to speak with reporters at the combine in Indianapolis, along with doing his physical. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't seen in the morning. He had obviously went back to Athens and he, uh, he posted a statement saying that he expects to be fully exonerated. Um, look, this situation is super touchy. Um, there, there's some yeah. things that, Look, it, it, whatever happened here, irregardless of anything that anybody else did, two people lost their life in, in a crash. Whether Jalen Carter was 100% a part of whatever happened there, that should not be the, the biggest topic here. And I feel like it's now being overlooked. The The media is overshadowing the fact that Two people lost their lives. And now people are like, well, this guy is a projected top five pick. It's more important. No, it's not. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I have nothing to add to that. Um, it's just kind of like, it's crazy because like, you know, Jalen Carter is in, you know, some mock drafts projected to be the first pick of this entire draft. Um, and of course, you know, I understand the media would you know lean on that instead of the deaths of the two people but it it's it is wrong and we shouldn't forget about you know we shouldn't forget about the bigger picture which is uh you know remembering the two people that were killed plus you know kind of making changes you know just don't don't race like that don't be crazy you know drive safe because you know people care about you um, yeah and it, yeah the, the Jalen carter is that's that's just kind of like taking it over and and like I said earlier, I get it. You know, Jalen Carter is a huge deal, but, you know, we need to look at the bigger deal. Yeah, exactly. And uh, another kind of topic of discussion around this has been, you know, what kind of culture shift is going to happen at UGA and just, you know, with Kirby Smart's program as a result of what all has come out of this? Um, you know, obviously, they're going to take some initiative on you know, driving safe, uh, possibly having people escorting players uh, places more often than not. So, look, you can give these kids freedom, but the second that something like this happens is when you have to take a stance and make a change. And I have a feeling that is what's coming to the Georgia football program. Uh, yeah, I definitely hope so, um, at least for a little while. You know, there needs to be that reestablishment of, you know, your important – there are people that care about you um, aside from, you know, even football, you know, like just be safe and, you know, be safe on campus. Yeah. It's college. You know, you're going to have the time of your life and you're supposed to have the time of your life. But there's no need to get killed for racing. Yeah. Streets. So, yeah. I mean, that's really all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason to put your life out on the line. Like every time you, you get in a car, you're, you're putting your life on the line. You know, regardless yeah. of how safe you drive. And other people in some cases. Yeah. And you know, happen to be in this case. Exactly. And look, though some things may be outside of your control, 
It is just a risk that we all take. So why heighten that risk by doing something stupid? Exactly. So I heard it here first. From second and short, drive safe. Yeah, drive safe. Also, don't drink and drive. We'll just throw that one out there too. Don't think it's related to this, but might as well. All right, let's talk about something that I just think is kind of funny. So the Chargers GM, Tom Telesco, uh, was asked about the possibility of moving on from Keenan Allen. He said, Keenan Allen, he's our Andre Reed. He's our Charlie Joyner. There's no thought on that. We're thrilled with Keenan. Okay, first thing off the bat, if you're thrilled with Keenan, why has everybody talked about y'all possibly cutting him and how the fuck you guys going to get under the salary cap then? It, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it, is Justin, Her- is Herbo out? Even yeah. Allen? There's no way. <laughs> There's, <laughs> There's no way. It's pretty hard to extend Justin Herbert when you're $56 million over the cap. <laughs> it's like a couple star players right there. <laughs> All right. My other gripe with this is why are Andre Reed and Charlie Joyner the two examples you use? Because if you would have chosen two Chargers wide receivers, you know Charlie Joyner and somebody else, it would have made sense. Andre Reed didn't play for the Chargers, so then why didn't you pick two better wide receivers? Yeah, very interesting. You know, choice of comparison here from uh, Mr. Tom. I don't understand it. Yeah, like. You could have been like, he's our Jerry Rice. He's our Randy Moss. So, yeah, I don't know. It just Charlie Joyner. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Maybe those are his top two. It's an invalid top two. (laughs) That's his personal top two wide receivers of all time. (laughs) Yeah. Huge fan of almost full career playing Andre Reid with the Bills and then Charlie Joyner, who I believe was like a career charger. Um, Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what the Raiders GM had to say. Dave Ziegler, um, he said that Devontae Adams is in the loop on the quarterback situation. And I understand this. Obviously, this has been a topic in the past where, you know, either a quarterback is in tune with, you know, what's going on here or a wide receiver is in the conversations of who they're picking up at quarterback. But. Is that really going to change much? Because at least positively, because the only thing I see here is a negative. Because look, if Devontae Adams is like, sorry, I don't want to play with Aaron, or okay, he wants to play with Aaron Rodgers. Let me find a better example. Uh, sorry, I don't want to play with a rookie quarterback. Okay, well, now you have very few options. Yeah, you have uh, re-signing Derek Carr, which won't fucking happen, or nope. Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're, you're kind of shit out of luck at that point. If Devontae Adams is like, I'm not playing unless Lamar Jackson's the quarterback, it's kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot about Lamar, Lamar too. Um, I think this is more of an empty um, – uh, what's the word for it? An empty like kind of uh, – there's no, there is no significance in this from what the Raiders are doing. I think, in other words, this is just saying, "Hey, Devonte, we're really sorry that you know you got traded here to a even worse team. You don't have Aaron Rodgers anymore, and you played with Derek Carr, and we were horrible, and then lost Derek Carr. The entire reason that you moved here. So we're gonna let you look for the next one. I, I think that's what this move is. Yeah, like." I don't think the Raiders really have any intention because your point, if Devontae Adams doesn't want to play with the rookie quarterback, the Raiders are kind of fucked. Yeah. In my opinion. 
Uh, look, I get it. He's a star wide receiver. He's getting paid a shitload of money. Yeah, he can be in two non conversations, but his decision, or sorry, his decision should not be like end all be all. Exactly, and I, I think the Raiders honestly have no intention of it being the end all be all. I, I really don't think what Devontae Adams has to say will really be taken into consideration here. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. All right, let's talk about something that I'm, you know, as much as it probably doesn't mean anything, uh, I'm kind of happy about it. Bobby Wagner, uh, it's looking like it's going to be a little more possible that he goes to the Seahawks, uh, you know, re reunites with the franchise that he was a six-time pro, pro bowler with. I think this is a fantastic move. Look, Bobby Wagner obviously is not as big of an impact player as he was before, but still a solid player, and he means a lot to this franchise. Yeah, um, you know, he spent the last season with a completely new different team, or new team, sorry, I don't know why I added extra words there. A new team uh, last season, he was still top 15 in tackles. I mean, I, I think he was 13th. Isn't, you know, what we would expect from Bobby Wagner, but it's still high. And personally, my childhood would like to see this happen. I mean, Bobby Wagner, I've always associated him with the Legion of Boom and the Seahawks. Kind of sucked to see him leave and jump ship to the team that won the Super Bowl, but I think him coming back, it'll it'll do my childhood good. Yeah, I think it'd be a fantastic move. Let's talk about this real quick. Um, me and Brock talked a decent amount about the whole Dan Snyder and Commander situation on Wednesday's episode. This is just kind of another advancement in this fucking crazy situation. The NFL owners are asking Jerry Jones to broker the deal with Dan Snyder uh, to sell the Commanders. So, look, I get this, and I honestly think this is the best move possible here because, look, if he's not going to sell, every, all of the owners hate him. So they'll just force him out. But Jerry Jones, as much as I hate him and I hate the Cowboys, a pretty smart guy. I, I feel like he could bring this to a resolution. Me too. Um, I think there's probably an argument you can make where Jerry Jones is probably one of the best and most successful owners of all time. Of course, his team hasn't won a Super Bowl since like the mid nineties, but you know, the other side of that is look what the Cowboys are like valued at now monetarily. And Jerry Jones has done a really good job. He's a good businessman. I think he has a decent football mind, maybe sticks his nose into their decisions too much, but he's still, you know, very good at what he does. And I think he would be honestly out of all the owners, the best one to broker a deal with Dan Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look, Dan Snyder needs to sell this fucking team. Um, what he's done is ridiculous. You know, on top of the multiple workplace environment lawsuits, uh, it also came out that um, he was he committed bank fraud. Uh, he like made a loan of like fifty five million dollars or something, maybe more, and the NFL just like made it go away. So there's a lot of bad shit going on right now with Dan Snyder, and there always has been, and it doesn't help the FedEx field is just falling apart bit by bit. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think he's probably the biggest cancer in the NFL right now. Because, I mean, he just keeps growing. He won't go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need to that, fucking get rid of this guy. That's true. All right, let's talk 
a little bit about this Ravens stuff because there's a whole lot going on with the Ravens, and it's not oh, even yes. just about Lamar. So let's start first. Ravens GM Eric DaCosta said the team hasn't made a decision on what tag they'll use on uh, Lamar Jackson, but hope that the team gets a deal done before they have to franchise tag him. All right. John Harbaugh said that he's been texting with Lamar here and there. He's my quarterback. He's my guy. Our plans are with Lamar. But the Ravens GM Eric DaCosta also said the team has four, five, or six different plans depending on what happens with Lamar, but was quoted saying, we want Lamar here. Well, of course you fucking do. It's Lamar Jackson. And then we also hear John Harbaugh said that he didn't have time to break down Georgia's offense during Todd Munkin's interview process. So that's that's just a weird thing to say. Like, why are you, why do you say that? Yeah. I'd rather you lie and say that you did. <laughs> yeah, me too. It, it, it's it's these boneheaded things that front office and, and coaching members are saying at this combine that it's just it, it's throwing me for a loop. And it, we'll, it, go oh, ahead, go ahead. No, you're good. I was going to move on, okay, so you're good. I was just going to say that you know, even as a Steelers fan, I love John Harbaugh. He's a great and has been a he's been a such a uh, consistent head coach in this league. He's a Super Bowl champion. You weren't in the Super Bowl. It's not like your offseason started later than everybody else's. Why why didn't – what were you doing instead of breaking down Todd Munkin's film? You know, like I I would understand if, you know, he was in the Super Bowl, you know, he had playoffs to prepare for, all that good stuff. But what – I don't understand him saying that, dude. That's such a strange comment to make. And not only is it a strange comment to make, why didn't you? Yeah, no, I – I have no explanation for that, but let's talk about the probably the most boneheaded thing to say of the entire week. Still comes from the Ravens GM Eric DaCosta. He was asked about evaluating wide receivers at the combine, and he possibly gave the worst answer he could have ever given. He said, "If I had an answer, that would probably mean I have some." Sorry, I totally said that wrong. If I had an answer, that would probably mean I would have some better wide receivers. First off, before we talk about the reaction to this, why the fuck would you say that? That's that's a pretty dick thing to say. Yeah, like, like, okay, look, we all know the receiving core for the Ravens hasn't been good. But there's still guys on your team that don't want to hear that. Yeah, um... I mean, I, I would even argue that it's kind of more of like a systematic thing. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I, I have actually, hang on. Um, yeah, I have a note here. The Ravens last season were last in passes attempted to wide receivers. So, I mean, yeah, you can argue that the Ravens wide receivers aren't that good, which they aren't on paper, but they're not scheming them either. You don't trust them, clearly. So I, I don't know why you don't really have any ground to stand on if you want to make this comment, I think. Yeah, it'd be different if they were dropping all their passes, but they're not throwing to them. But yes, so the the biggest reaction here obviously comes from Rashad Bateman. And it's not only about what the GM had to say, but also kind of references the NFLPA's report cards that came out, which we'll be talking about in just a second. The Ravens got an F- on the team report card for their strength staff. And 
it seemed like the whole league had something to say about it. So first, Rashad Bateman, he tweeted, how about you play to your players' strengths and stop pointing the finger at us and Lamar? Blame the one you let do this. We take heat 24-7. Keep us healthy. Care about us and see what happens. Ain't no promises, though. Tired of y'all lying and capping on players for no reason. Multiple other players around the league and for the Ravens said things about this. Carl Davis Jr. said, I was definitely a victim of the strength coaches. Two labrums and multiple pec strains. Mike Davis, the running back, said, I hate to say it or be that guy, but being there, Rashad Bateman is 100% right. Matthew Judon said, I've been told them to fire him. Bam Bradley, five months post-ACL, unsuccessfully doing the same leg workouts as people with healthy knees, never sits right with me. It absolutely ruined me. Hollywood Brown said, I'm going to mind my business. I'll take accountability over my own body. I totally forgot how to say this guy's name. I think it's Quincy Edoya Biejo. Biejo. I don't know. He said, definitely ruined my career. Three years season or three years of season-ending injuries in a row after being healthy my entire career prior. So it looks like this is a systematic problem, but it's not just in the front office. It's from the strength coaches. And a, a ton of bad things being said here uh, about the strength staff for the Ravens. Uh, I'm kind of blanking on their strength conditioning coach's name, but uh, he was getting name-dropped quite a lot um, afterwards. I mean, I, I guess if you if you have something like this, I, I think it's kind of um... – it's definitely a good thing, you know, that former players and current players of the Baltimore Ravens are, um, you know, coming together and are speaking on this because that's really the only way that there's going to be change. And there definitely needs to be a change because, I mean, these are, you know, pretty high high caliber players and in abundance, too, that are coming out and talking about you. So I definitely expect Baltimore to change something. Yeah, like, look, when we go over this report card, um, you'll see – you know, kind of the spots where teams need to address. But before we get into these report cards, uh, Shane Steichen brought up Jalen Hurts while addressing a question about prospect quarterbacks. Said the Colts' future quarterback needs to imitate Hurts' makeup and approach. Steichen reiterates how Hurts is consistently putting in work at the team facility from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. So, when I first read this, I thought, okay, who's a quarterback that imitates Jalen Hurts, when it comes to how he plays the game, how he's built. Oh, Anthony Richardson. Interesting. But on top of it, they're talking about putting in work. So, you know, that could really be anybody. Um, But this kind of makes me feel like the Colts might be eyeing Anthony Richardson. Uh, uh, Don't do it. <laughs> Dude, I'm starting to become a believer in Anthony Richardson. It's a problem. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I, I need I, to seek help. <laughs> the voices in your head. I guess. I, obviously, I, I don't follow college football, you know, like that. But it was my understanding that Anthony Richardson was probably out of like maybe even the top five quarterbacks going into this draft. But I've heard a lot about him. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what the hype is and where it's come from. Yeah, it, it seems like everybody missed something within the past week because his odds to be the number one overall pick 
absolutely went insane. Like he's now like plus four hundred to be the first overall pick, and that might be wrong. Uh, so it's something near that. But before that, they were astronomical, and, and now he's number one in some mock drafts, and like he's the second QB off the board in some mock drafts. Whereas just like two months ago, most people saw him going in the teens. Now it's uh, like almost a for sure thing that he's going top 10. That's insane. Like what did he like, did he grow four inches and put on like 20 pounds or something? Like, so supposedly he put on some, some muscle, um, which he's already got a fantastic build. He's, he's tall, fast, strong, agile cannon of an arm like he's got the right build he just has to work on decision making um i know a couple people have said leadership and just kind of how he plays the game needs to be worked on a little bit which the thing is is those are things that are coachable a strong arm isn't coachable his build his speed like his intangibles those aren't things that can be coached but he can work on the things that aren't working for him before. So there is a chance that he's a fantastic prospect. I don't think he's quite ready. I think he could have used another year in college, but you know, I'm, I'm not a scout. I'm not a GM. I don't know the, the leadership, um, you know, kind of con to him to me that one, that one's a pretty big one. Um, I understand how leadership can be coachable and I, I think it definitely is. But I think I think leadership is just kind of one of those things that you're you kind of have or you don't. Um, it can always you know be worked on, especially with the right person and the right personality. But I don't know that's just kind of strange that I, I've never really heard that from a lot of um, a lot of like scouting and like you know pre-draft uh, reports of like you know some of the top quarterbacks not having leadership skills. It's kind of strange to me. Yeah, it, it, it's something that like I think that kind of just sprouts from the fact that he has only started one full season and his team wasn't very good. So people just want to say that it might just be like a false narrative. Um, but you know, regardless, I do think that there's, there's a world where Anthony Richardson goes number one and is the best quarterback in this draft. I just don't know how realistic that is, but let's go ahead and move on. It was a, a lot of NFL news to get through. I do want to talk a little bit about these report cards, though, that came out. So the NFLPA has been uh, collecting data, I believe, over the past three years. Uh, they interviewed 1,300 NFL players, or not interviewed, but surveyed them, uh, and asked them to rank every franchise's treatment of families, nutrition, weight room, strength staff, training room, training staff, and locker room. Uh, on an A, A plus to an F minus scale. And the Arizona Cardinals were atrocious. Like, it's so bad. All right, so we'll start off treatment of families, F. Nutrition, F minus. Weight room, F minus. Strength staff, A minus. So they've got a good staff there, okay. Training room, F minus. Training staff, B plus solid training staff locker room F it doesn't get worse than that. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, they got that B plus travel though. 
<laughs> the Buffalo Bills are out here like they have a D plus travel, and that's the that's like their lowest. Their nutrition's a C, which is their second lowest. Everything else is like an A or a B plus. That's kind of crazy. Oh wait, am I? Oh, I didn't even see the travel one. Yeah, it's on the other side. Yeah, I didn't realize that. For some reason, it's making me like scroll to the side to see that. Um, But yeah, B plus travel. That's pretty solid. Um, So NFLPA came out and said some uh, a few things about the Cardinals. Uh, This is something very interesting here, though. So if players want dinner, it will be boxed up for them, but the team will charge them via payroll. What? Interesting. Okay. Well, it, it just keeps going because. Players reported that if you work out at the facility after the season's over, the team charges you. No way. And there is no other team in the NFL that does these. What? Yeah. (laughs) How long has that been a rule? Dude, it's just a Cardinals thing, I guess. Maybe they put too much money in Kyler Murray. Yeah, they got to pay for his contract. Yeah, they're like, sorry, guys, you can't work out for free. We got to pay Kyler. You know, he's been producing so well. I wonder if any of that has to play into D-Hop kind of already being like, you know, peace. Yeah. It's got to, right? Maybe that's why J.J. Watt's retiring. I'm, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. but you, then you Let's start writing false know, narratives. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's spread a whole bunch of rumors. J.J. But Watt's also- retiring because he can't work out for free. Um, but you've also had, you know, guys that, I don't know. I never hear that much negative things about the Cardinals. You know, you've had guys like Larry Fitzgerald who have been more than happy to spend, um, you know, their pretty much entire career there. That's strange. Yeah, it it is wild. And, uh, let's talk about our two franchises that we're fans of. So I'll just start off talking about the Falcons, a B treatment of families. I can deal with that. I'll, I'll take it. All right, C minus nutrition. You're in Atlanta. It kind of makes sense. All right, C minus weight room. Unacceptable. You got some beautiful facilities. You got to do better. All right, strength staff, D minus. Got to change. Training room, B minus. Solid. Training staff, A. Like to see that. Locker room, D once again, ridiculous. You have a state-of-the-art stadium and facilities. Nobody's locker room should be below a B minus. And then A minus travel. Great. Hartsfield Jackson, baby. Yeah, I doubt they're often flying out of there. If they... <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. They've got to find a private strip away from there. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the Steelers here. Um. Not to do a lot of scrolling because they're towards the bottom of the list. Um, yeah, I gotta fucking find them again. Hey, shit! What the hell are they? They're fifth to last. Fifth to last. Okay. Or six. So the first column, which is treatment of families, D minus. I that's not good. I, I'm not a big fan of that. You gotta take care of the people's families, man, because they're the you know they're big reasons of why players stick around, right? You know, hey, honey, do you like the city? No, yes, right? Yeah. I mean, I I think so. Um, B plus nutrition. I mean, you know, got to keep the boys healthy, eating right. Um, we got a C weight room. Eh, I mean, eh, I don't know how I feel about that one. I mean, I it definitely could be better. Um, a A minus 
strength staff, not too bad. Not too bad. We got a lot of strong guys on the Steelers. I, I get it. The training room, I think, when I was looking at it earlier. Yeah, D minus. What the fuck? Like, you know, that's where the players train. Come on, guys. Uh, B plus in training staff. I, I could honestly see that. I, I think the Steelers are pretty, you know, they're staffed pretty well. Um, the next one, the Steelers got a D plus in, and that was locker room. That fucking sucks. I'm pretty sure the Steelers are, I, I think a lot of this stems from, you know, the traditional aspect of the Steelers where, you know, we're going to be rough and tough and blue collar like we were in the seventies, but some things just got to be improved and a B travel. I don't, I don't know. I, I I'm kind of disappointed in the Steelers. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way with the Falcons. I'm looking at kind of how teams stack up strength staff wise, obviously the Ravens F minus what a surprise um, Falcons, a D minus, and then it jumps all the way up to a B for the New York jets. So it seems like, the only franchises that are struggling with strength staff are the Falcons and Ravens. Just, it's literally a matter of finding somebody new. If players aren't happy with the strength staff, those people are rather expendable. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So, uh, any other outliers that kind of show up here for you? Um, F minus for the Saints and Nutrition? Same with the Bengals, too. Yeah, uh, the Chargers got an F in that as well. I don't know. Like, nutrition it just seems like one of those that would be easy to be good in. I want to – I don't know. This would be kind of interesting to really break down on how they graded things and, like, how different teams compare. Because, like, I want to know – because, you know, for example, the Dolphins have the highest nutrition at an A. I want to know how the Dolphins' nutrition compares to – uh, the Ravens' nutrition. No, oh, wait. Look, Cardinals. The wrong column here. The Dolphins. Yeah, uh, compares to the Cardinals. Like, what are they doing differently? What What does the food look like? Yeah, it, it's a weird thing because, like, look, nobody got an A plus in nutrition, which is kind of weird because your facility should be supplying the food, whether it's coming out of your paycheck or not, which is ridiculous. But the Packers, Cowboys, Dolphins, and Eagles all have an A in nutrition. So. Why is there the Chargers with an F and then the Cardinals, Bengals, Saints at F minus? Like it, it doesn't make sense. Everybody has the access to the same things as everybody else. But uh, another kind of weird thing is that the Chargers and the Rams have rather different scores. They're in the same city. Obviously, they have two different practice facilities. They play at the same stadium. And, you know, the discrepancies aren't huge, but, like, the Chargers are an F in nutrition. The Rams are a D in nutrition. The The biggest difference here, though, is the training staff, which obviously comes down to hiring process, but the Rams have an A-plus training staff. Chargers have a C-minus. Look, you're in Los Angeles. You should be able to find some good trainers. Exactly. A lot of dudes that care about their body out there. And we could obviously take a deeper look, but there's not too much else to talk about here. Obviously, you know, every franchise is great at something and bad at the others, except for the Cardinals. And look, when it all comes down to it, you don't get to choose how this goes as a player. No, not at all. You just kind of have to, you know, you're you're literally in the hands of other people, um, and it's their job to take care of you. Yeah, and, and I will say I do appreciate the fact that the NFL Players Association 
did this because it kind of lights a fire under the ass of NFL owners and front office members to make some changes, improve your facilities and improve your staff in the places that need improvement. Yeah. And I think, you know, the negative side to this and, you know, this is just kind of something that it's a reality that we all need to face. And the fact where, yes, we would like to think that our NFL owners are just as much, you know, into the team as we are, but they are businessmen first. And if they can save money, they're going to save money. You know, more times than not. So it's time to, you know, kind of like uh, address a lot of these, you know, poor discrepancies. And especially, I mean, like some of these are horrible. Like, like <clears throat> what does an F nutrition look like? I'm stuck. I'm, I'm stuck on an yeah. F nutrition for some reason. Like why, why is it like that? It yeah. shouldn't be like that. Like, what are they serving them? McDonald's? Chocinco ate it for a long time, and he only played like what, like nine years or something, ten. Yeah. All right, let's get into our top ten wide receivers lists. Um, I do kind of want to move through this fast because we do have a lot to talk about. We're already about an hour and a half in, but let's go ahead and get it started. Number ten, Luke, you've got the floor. With my man Scary Terry, um, it was this pick was so close to being Garrett Wilson for me. But Scary Terry, I think he had a little bit of the edge, and I gave him the benefit of that offense. Like, didn't have a QB one all season, and Scary Terry still played well, so that's why he was my number ten. My number ten, I gave it to Devonte Smith. Um, he had a, a fantastic year, but um, I'd like to see a little bit better. Um, average per um, reception. And I, I think that just in general, with 95 receptions, you should be a little bit higher than nine overall in receiving yards. like it. I like it. Um, my number nine, I went with Jamar Chase. Yes, he only played 12 games, but his stats were pretty damn good. And his stats suggested that they would be, you know, a lot crazier if he were to, you know, log in the full 17. Um, he also kind of comes in an offense where personally, I think that Joe Burrow is more of a spread guy and not really a one target guy. Yeah. Jamar Chase is going to be the type of receiver to get you, you know, your 12 receptions, a hundred plus yards and multi touchdown games. But Joe Burrow also likes to spread the ball around and, you know, with Jamar's stats and him only playing 12 games and kind of that spread offense, he made my number nine. All right. My number nine, scary Terry. I think that it is outstanding, the fact that he had only 77 receptions. That's 18 less than Devontae Smith and still um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and only had five less receiving yards. Um, he had only five touchdowns, but also a lot of QB problems in Washington between Carson Wentz and Heineke, who was going to start Howell at the end of the year, like, there was a lot going on there, and Terry McLaurin, to have a, a 15.5 uh, average yards per reception, that's fantastic stuff. I like it. I like it. Um, for my number eight, I put Jalen Waddle. Um, people may think this is kind of low, and maybe I did kind of sell him short, but he made my number eight. Uh, I have a couple cool facts about him. He averaged more yards per catch than any player this season at 18.1. That's like two first downs. That's ridiculous. He also 
reached 20 miles per hour on four offensive touches this season, which was tied for the third most among all wide receivers. He was only behind Christian Watson and teammate Tyreek Hill. So a lot of damn speed in Miami. And he was eighth in yards. I mean, didn't really have that bad of a year, especially considering that he's in a two wide receiver system with, you know, Tyreek Hill. His stats were not that bad at all. Yeah, uh, I think he had a fantastic season. My number eight is Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, he missed one game. He had a snap limit in the game afterwards. And to have 106 receptions in your second season in the league and you broke 1,000, not only that, you were 11th in receiving yards, is phenomenal. Um, he, you know, yards per game, 72.6. It could be better, but there was a couple outliers that just held him back. But in his in full health, he is a top wide receiver. No doubt about it. And he made my number seven. So he was seventh uh, in receptions with uh, 107 receptions. And the only really thing... The only thing I really have to add to what you just said is for me, I, I like to kind of um, like to make my decisions on those stats that just aren't numbers. They're just kind of like my my opinion on how they affected their football team. And I would say that his emergence has been the number one reason why the Lions are a threat in this league now. He's an incredible wide receiver. I love the fact that he's broken out. He is so much fun to watch. He is my number seven. All right. My number seven is C.D. Lamb. Uh, he had a phenomenal, kind of his breakout year, you know, as the wide receiver one after the uh, Cowboys dealt Amari Cooper. And look, 107 receptions, 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, like all over the place. He had great numbers. And the biggest stat that stands out to me for C.D. Lamb is 24 20 plus receiving yard plays. That is fantastic. He was, uh, you know, 79.9 yards per game. I prefer a top five wide receiver to be in the 80s for that. Yeah. So you have him at numbers, what'd you say, seven? seven. Right? So kind of to segue into my number six, mine is also CD Lamb. And personally, I kind of feel like I may have sold him short here. I. I may like him higher, but his stats kind of suggest number six. And all those stats that you brought up were amazing. But biggest one to me is with a quarterback that could not throw it to the you know, same team that he plays for, had career highs in the targets, receptions, awesome year for CeeDee Lamb, you know, like I just said, with a quarterback that only could throw interceptions, really impressive to watch. And I just, I can't see what, so CD was my number six. Yeah, uh, I I really like that pick. I, I do think I kind of sold him short at seven, but my number six is Stefan Diggs. And you might think that maybe that's a little bit low for Stefan Diggs, but overall his team didn't play as well as they should have. Obviously the regular season was great, but I expect more out of Stefan Diggs. 107 receptions, just about the same amount of receiving yards as Jalen Waddell. And Jalen Waddle had 32 less receptions. He only had um oh sorry, I was reading the wrong number. He had 1,400. Uh so you know, 75 yards more still uh on that huge uh reception margin. He got eleven touchdowns, which is fantastic, 
but I just feel like his impact could have been felt more. He should have been a 100 yards per game kind of guy. And, and look, 89, or sorry, yeah, 89.3, 100% great. I just think that the game plan could have been better for him, and that's what took away from his performance this season. I love how you have him at number six because he was my number five. I just keep chasing you here, Grayson. <laughs> it's so, because I overrated a guy that I think you underrated. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, Personally, I think kind of looking at my list now, I think I kind of would like to swap CD Lamb and Diggs, but I'm not going to do that because we're already recording. Diggs made it my number five pre-recording because, I mean, fantastic season. He had 108 receptions, which was fourth best. He had uh, 1,400 yards, which was fifth best. And he was uh, tied for third with those 11 touchdowns. So, I mean, he's top five in all the three major receiver stats. So he didn't have a bad year. But to your point, I sold him short the exact same way that you sold him short. The game plan for Diggs was not really that good this season, yet he was still effective, of course. But for me, I think it kind of came down to Josh Allen. Josh Allen was clearly not the best we've ever seen him this year. He threw a lot of picks, and I think that's kind of why um, Diggs made my number five is because the game plan for him just wasn't wasn't as solid as I think it could have been. Yeah. All right. But, oh, go ahead. That week, that week one where he was clowning Jalen Ramsey on Thursday Night Football, that was very entertaining. Sure was. What a game. What a game. My number five, Jalen Waddle. I put him up a little bit higher. And the big thing for me here with Jalen Waddle, I, I talked about it. It's the few receptions he had compared to the guys ahead of him with only 75 to put up 1,300 is phenomenal. You talked about the target share with Tyreek Hill. Tyreek had almost 60 more targets. Uh, obviously, he caught the ball a lot and got a ton of yards, but I think it's very commendable what Jalen Waddle was able to do. 510 yards after the catch, awesome. And 21 yard or 21, 20 plus uh, receiving yard plays, eight touchdowns. When you're sharing the ball, with another guy who's up here on the list, it's pretty hard to put up numbers like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Dolphins were able to do that, which is really impressive and so fun to watch. Um, my number four, we're finally going to deviate from each other, A.J. Brown. Uh, I loved this season by A.J. Brown. Another player, I, I mean, he's – there are a lot of players on my list here that switch teams, and they're, like, all in the top four, which is insane. Um Fourth in yards, he almost had 1,500. He was four yards short. He also is one of the players that had 11 touchdowns, so he was tied for third best in the league there. Not a lot of receptions, so kind of like Jalen Waddell, which, you know, we saw it. A.J. Brown, you know, the deep ball for him, it's just his bread and butter. He's so good at locating the ball, jumping over, you know, corners and mossing them. He is so good at that, and he made my number four, which I may have sold him a little short. Well... I agree with you at number four. I've also got A.J. Brown. Nice. Look, I, I think that I could have put him higher because I have, you know, throughout this list, put more value in the guys that got, um, you know, higher average yards per catch. But, you know, nobody had a higher average yards per catch than A.J. Brown this season. It's 17. But the big thing, like you said, is the big plays, the big catches. That was huge. I could have put him higher. He lost two fumbles. That's not great. You don't see that a lot from top wide receivers. 
Uh, on top of it, he was just fantastic. You said it. 11 touchdowns. That's tied for third. Uh, overall, uh, a fantastic season from A.J. Brown. But I, I just can't imagine what it would be like if he got more receptions. Oh, I know. Um, and, you know, we saw it in the Super Bowl, that deep play where he just, I mean, just was better than the guys who were covering him. And that's kind of the effect you get with A.J. Brown. He's one of those guys where, you know, if you give him a chance in the air on a deep ball, he'll probably make the play. Um, all right, Grayson, my number three. This one was hard between three and two. Obviously, we all know who fucking number one is. But yeah. three and two were was very interchangeable. And I, I think we may have actually dif- differed from each other here. I actually put Tyreek Hill at third. Maybe this is another one that I sold short because kind of looking at it, I don't know. Uh, some cool stats about him, though. He put up historic efficiency numbers this season, gaining uh, 3.7 yards for every route run. Uh, route run which uh, was like, uh, here, another stat to kind of follow that up. He was the only player to do that in the next-gen stats era, which is only since since 2016, but he's the only player to average over 3.3 yards per route in a season, and he had 3.7, so kind of cool there. Uh, second in receptions, he was second in yards. He almost had um, – he was actually over 1,700, which is insane. Seven touchdowns, so not, you know, a high touchdown uh, stat there, but – Tyree Kill was still absolutely phenomenal, even with Jalen Waddell, you know, getting some of the uh, targets away from him, too. Um, and especially, you know, Tua wasn't healthy the whole time. So, really, Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill, they, they get a lot of credit from me here. But, yeah, Tyree Kill made my number three. Well, sir, you were wrong because Tyree Kill is my number three as well. Oh, wow. I take a lot of value in your scoring contributions, and he could have had way more touchdowns. If you're going to get 100 yards per game, and you're going to get 170 targets, you should have more than seven touchdowns. Yeah. And I like that take. Look, I, I just I, I think that he could have done more. With as much as he did, I think that he could have bit maybe, you know, maybe it's the inconsistencies at the quarterback position. Tua, though he was there a majority of the games, you had Teddy Bridgewater a couple times, you had Skylar Thompson even uh, a few times. There was a lot of problems going on down in Miami, but once again, it's a it's a matter of target share. If, if they didn't target Jalen Waddle so much, maybe Tyreek has a better season. You know what have it, but I, I think that the scoring contribution is what holds me back from putting him at number two. I like it, and I'll, I'll finally take back what I said. I have always held that Tyreek Hill is just speed. Not a, not a good wide receiver. Just it, like my argument was always anybody that fast would be that good. Take it back. He he is a true wide receiver in this league, and I am sorry for ever doubting him. He is the real deal. Um, and this is not something that I said on the podcast. It's just something I've always said. But anyway, my number two is Devonte Adams. Uh, hundred receptions, which is decent. Fifteen hundred yards. He was third. Uh. And but 14 fucking touchdowns. That's a lot of touchdowns. And also, I want to give him the credit of not only did he switch teams, he went from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr and still had those kind of numbers. So I, I applaud Devontae Adams. He had a fantastic season, you know, through the team switch, through the quarterback switch. Um, and yeah, he made my number two. Yeah, same for me. Uh, it, it was a pretty easy selection for him at number two with the 14 touchdowns. 
you know, it was it, it would obviously be kind of hard to put him at one over the guy ahead of him. But the the only thing here that kind of throws me off with Devontae Adams is he had a hundred receptions on 180 targets. That that is not a, a fantastic percentage uh when you're missing 80 of those targets. In in though that could be a Derek Carr issue. Uh obviously some of those are on him. And you know, but you're right. The the glaring parts of this that make him stand out is the fifteen hundred yards on, you know, twenty less receptions than Tyreek. He had more uh yards per reception at or at fifteen point two. And of course the deciding factor here is the fourteen touchdowns. That's double what Tyreek Hill did. Yeah. All right. You ready for number one? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious now. It's 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 Jay Jettis. The Jerry Rice of our generation, Mr. Jettis. 128 receptions. That was best in the league. He had uh, 1,809 yards. That was also best in the league. He had eight touchdowns, which was still more than my number three, which was Tyreek Hill. And I wanted to point up, he has the most yards versus press coverage since 2020, which, you know, that's not a long time, but I just thought it was something worth noting. You know, press coverage is supposed to be harder for wide receivers. Not this freak of nature. And he made my number one because he is just a – it's like watching a video game. <laughs> yeah, it, he was absolutely fantastic. 106.4 yards per game, ridiculous. Among wide receivers, first in yards per catch by 60 over A.J. Brown. Or, sorry, not yards per catch, uh, yards after the catch. Absolutely huge. Um, he also was first in first downs uh, with 80. That's uh, a huge con- uh, contribution to his team. And then, of course, 1,800 receiving yards, 128 receptions. Like, he had four more targets than Devontae Adams, and he had 28 more receptions. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, obviously an offensive player of the year uh, to his name as well. Oh, for sure. Um, you got any honorable mentions? Yeah, I, I got a couple. Uh, for so for me, I left off Jamar. Obviously, an honorable mention. I just wish he would have played more. Um, Chris Godwin had over a hundred receptions. He just didn't get a ton of yards. Uh, he he had a hundred hundred and four receptions on one hundred and forty two targets. That's a fantastic percentage there. And uh, the rookies uh, that did really well this season, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, both fantastic. Uh, I'd love to say something about Drake London. He just really wasn't that great. Yeah, um, you pretty much took all of my honorable mentions, except for I will <laughs> say um, Christian Watson, though. Yeah. Only reason he would be an honorable mention for me is the seven touchdowns and the amount of time that he got them in. I don't know. That's pretty impressive. And I, I think he should be he should be mentioned for just that alone. Who knows what would have happened if he logged in a full season like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh I, I think that a, a lot would change in that case. Uh, another honorable mention for me, and this is probably the last one, is Brandon Ayuk. Um the guy that I, like I you know, nobody really had on his radar. Obviously we knew he was good. We didn't know he was this good. Um over a thousand yards, the last guy to be a thousand yards this season. Only seventy-eight receptions, sharing the ball with Debo and Christian McCaffrey. He had to run the ball a couple times as well, and he's sharing targets with Kittle. Like 
Brandon Ayuk needs his flowers for how well he played this season and how much he did for that team. Eight touchdowns as well. Yeah, highly underrated player there. All right, anything else you got before we move on? I think I'm ready. All right, I'm going to run through this MLB news relatively quickly. Uh, Probably skip a couple of things that really aren't all that significant, but let's talk about, so Manny Machado, Rafael Devers are locked up. They were the two guys that, Possibly we're going to enter the free agency market after this coming season. Now, the market is getting real small. Uh, So, obviously, Shohei Otani is the best available there. But after that, it really falls off. Teoscar Hernandez is really the second best option there on the free agent market. This is not good. Uh, It does not bode well for teams that struggled or are looking to make a a big change to their franchise after this coming season because... If Teoscar Hernandez, Ian Happ, and Matt Chapman are the guys that you know are left after somebody gives Shohei like six trillion dollars, <laughs> it's not looking great for that free agency market. So we could see a ton of trades coming next year if teams are really willing to ball out. Or you know who knows a really quiet off season, which I'm kind of bummed about. I I love MLB off season. It's one of the you know few times where I actually really pay attention to the MLB. Um, and, and I'm talking like kind of free agent, uh, free agency stuff because like I don't know the MLB more so than any other sport just feels like they just the contracts are just so entertaining. Like I, I remember um the year when Manny Machado and Bryce Harper got signed. That was so fun to keep up with, and I'm I'm bummed out that next year, you know, won't be won't be really anything like that, except for Shohei. Yeah, Shohei's contract's gonna be interesting. Uh, I, I do want to talk about this one real quick. So the Padres, since 2021, have signed Manny Machado to 11 years, 350 million dollar extension. They signed Xander Bogarts 11 years, 280 million. Fernando Tatis 14 years, 340 million. You Darvish, six years, 108, and Joe Musgrove to five years, 100 million. That is almost 1 billion. And they still got to pay Juan Soto. There's no way. <laughs> right? There's absolutely no way they can pay Juan Soto. No, they, they certainly can't, um, which makes this very interesting. Like $978 million across five players and you still have arguably the best of the bunch to still get needs needs to get paid yeah um but at least you know they have that core i mean that's a that's a really big and very elite core that they have there locked up for you know all of them at least over five years you know the shortest contract being joe musgroves that's you know that's pretty damn good for the padres I'll, i'll commend them for that it is but it is quite a lot of money for you know Four of these guys were on the team last year. They didn't even make the playoff. Or they made the playoffs. They really didn't play very well though. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I Juan Soto, that's gonna be that's gonna be a big one. How how long is he locked up for them uh with them now? Uh I believe he's got two years left. Okay. Gotcha. Let's talk about this one's just something extremely funny. So Wilmer Flores. Uh, MLB player, of course. I don't know where he's at right now, uh, team-wise, but he, gave, uh, his wife gave birth to their first child, uh, promptly named Wilmer Flores. Uh, he was born Thursday in Miami. And that makes five Wilmers in their immediate family. Wow. Like, what do you, what do, you do from there? How do you, how do you, you know, 
distinguished names. Is he going to be, um, I think Wilmer Flores said that he's going to be little Wilmer. There's got to really be original. a different Wilmer that's littler. <laughs> I think uh, he needs to ask Philip Rivers because there's no way with his 19 kids that like three of them aren't named the same thing. Yeah, there's probably there's probably like Philip Rivers Jr., the third and the fourth amongst that family. Yeah, maybe you can ask Philip for advice. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see what else. Ah, okay. I have a fun question for you, and hopefully you didn't cheat. Um, on this, uh, I put the question in there. I redacted the statement. Oh. <laughs> uh, from your from the prep sheet, and it says most. So so the question is, who has the most MLB seasons? that they stole at least one base without being caught once. Oh, this is okay. I think I actually didn't see it on the prep sheet, but I saw it somewhere else. Are you just asking like who I think it is? Yeah. You know, just anybody. I think it's a slow guy. It's one that's going to surprise me, but I'm going to play it safe, I think. And I'm going to just go, oh man, who's a good base stealer? Crap. I am blanking. I'm going to go. Um, I, I know he's fast. I don't know if he steals bases. Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, wrong. Is it? It's Greg Maddox. Yeah, that's who it is. I knew it was <laughs> fucking bullshit. That's yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, obviously, starting pitcher uh, for the Braves, Cubs, uh, Greg Maddox, with 10 seasons that he stole a base and did not get caught stealing once. I, I mean,. You know, that's that's another thing that I, I think a lot of people don't realize is there's definitely a place for base stealers who necessarily aren't fast. They're just very good at base running is a real skill in baseball. Like there are players who are awesome at base running. And I think that should be kind of valued more. And maybe that was Greg Maddox. Yeah. Let's talk about this fun so, stat as well. Randy Johnson had more strikeouts than base runners allowed in 11 different seasons. Holy shit. Insane. Yeah, like that's ridiculous. Because, look, a lot of strikeout pitchers give up a lot of hits or give up a lot of walks. And so it's extremely surprising to see the dominance that Randy Johnson had, especially because early in his career, he couldn't, he didn't have any control. So you'd assume he was still walking guys, the fact of the matter is he could strike out anybody. I just can't believe that a player like him in, in the era that he played in, you know, where players probably weren't, you know, focusing on their health and like the health of their arm and really nurturing it and recovering it after games. He was a starting pitcher that could throw very hard and for a full game. And I just, I, I don't, and he had a super long career, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he had a pretty long career. He was throwing triple yeah. digits. Like he's just built different, man. He is. That's why he's the big unit. Yeah. All right. Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, okay, so this one's an interesting one that has to do with the pitch clock. So there was a pitch from Braves' uh, right-handed pitching prospect Jared Schuster. Um, I can't quite remember which scrimmage it was or uh, which spring training game it was, but the strike was changed to a ball, but it wasn't a pitch clock thing. It was from a different rule change and it had to do with the shift because 
prospect shortstop for the Braves, Braden Shoemake, was standing on the grass. And like this strike was as much down the middle as it could possibly be. Oh, wow. And it got changed to a ball because Braden Shoemake was on the grass. Interesting. How does that make you feel? It bothers me, of course, but you know, at the same time, it's like, okay, rules are rules. If if it's going to be enforced, like that's a rule that's not hard to go by. Don't no. stand on the grass. You know if you're standing on grass. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Jeff Passan reported that the number is going to start at $500 million for Shohei Otani and can only go up from there. When I read it, that's just way too low. <laughs> yeah, and it's—I it, mean, I know it's going to go up, but I feel like even saying that the number is going to start at five hundred million, I feel like that's even low. Yeah, it, it, I think it's going to be. I, I personally think he's going to go six fifty plus. Uh, I, I'd go as far as to say like seven forty. That honestly, that, oh man, that's that is a lot, dude. But I, I I understand why he's a Cy Young level pitcher an MVP level hitter. Like that's just how it is. And I don't see that changing. Shohei Otani is some in look an unprecedented number makes sense because he has unprecedented talent. You couldn't be said better. Um, And it's just unbelievable, especially the timing of his career is during this. And even Manny Machado, I think we covered it. Um, on our last podcast, even he was quoted in saying that like the free agency market has changed, you know, guys like Aaron judge bet on themselves and ended up getting $545 million more than what they were originally offered or what they're originally going to like settle at. Joey Otani is this good in the middle of just people are getting their bags, Grayson. So I, I, the number that he could get paid that that's just going to be ridiculous. Yeah. And it just, it it frightens me, honestly, yeah. as just a fan of baseball, because it means that we're we're getting a, a little bit close to uh, some some like fifteen year one billion dollar contracts. Yeah, it's not out of the realm at all. Because every time somebody signs higher, somebody's gonna be like, "Well, I had a higher WAR than him, so I'm more valuable. I should be getting paid more." It's it, a domino effect. It really it is. is. I mean, and it Manny Machado mentioned it. I know that other guys getting signed are also a part of the reason of why Manny, Ch- Manny Machado said that. Other guys are getting paid. Why shouldn't I? And if that's the case, and the number is going to only keep going up, you know, for your star players. So it's, it, it is kind of worrisome, you know, even for me too, of just how much these guys are going to be getting paid and how long. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. All right, last thing for the MOB. I thought this was absolutely mind blowing. In nineteen, or sorry, eighteen eighty nine, the Philad, so the the Philadelphia Phillies franchise left for spring training, uh, which was in Jacksonville, and they were the first big league club to head to Florida for spring training. But it was 1889, and they left from the Port of New York on their four-day, 1,000 nautical miles sail to Florida. (laughs) That is awesome. That would have been a good do you remember. 
because we wouldn't have remembered that. That is true. There, there's <laughs> nobody would remember that because it didn't happen yeah. in anybody's lifetime. Exactly. But that's just, like you, you know, you always hear about like explorers, you know, taking these voyages in school. Kind of weird to think of a sports team doing that. But, you know, in baseball, it's so old that it makes sense. It, a really cool stat. I yeah. love this. And, and like the picture is crazy. Like it's, it's just, just a ship. it's just two ships getting ready to, to go all the way from New York to Florida. So sick. I love it. All right. Let's get into the Prem. We got a, oh, yes. a, a couple of pretty good matches this weekend. Uh, definitely some stinkers, but definitely can't complain with the matchups we are getting. We'll start it out. Man City versus Newcastle. There is quite a lot to play for here for for really both sides. Yeah, uh, Manchester City, you know, Manchester United is in third right there behind them. So really any mistake is just going to be capitalized on by United. So City kind of have to tighten it up, I feel like. And, you know, they're really close to Arsenal, I want to say as well, too. So lots to play for here in Newcastle. They're in fifth. I'm sure they would like to, you know, keep that Champions League spot and not fall to Europa League spot or even worse. Um, yeah, really excited about this one. Um, I think, you know, with with what I have watched from Manchester City recently, I think the key for Newcastle is going to be locking up Holland because I've seen a lot of, you know, like 1-1 one, one draws or, you know, a lot of closer games for Manchester City when Holland is locked up. And I think that's what Newcastle are going to have to do in this game. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest factor here, though, is that Newcastle, leads the Prem in clean sheets. They've got 12 clean sheets this season, uh, by far the lowest goals against with 15. It, it's, it looks very, their defense is fantastic. But on top of it, there's a couple of key inactives here that really change this game. Man City is missing Imeric Laporte and John Stones. So the, the defense is a little bit hurt now, and they're in a rough spot. Uh, Obviously, Newcastle uh, is missing Bruno Guimaraes, um, which changes a little bit in the midfield. But he's been fantastic for Newcastle since the restart after the World Cup. An average match rating in all competitions in that span of 7.3. Definitely nothing to scoff at. A, a solid impact there from Bruno. But, look, there's there's some interesting parts of this matchup that make it so much higher stakes. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, a lot of it, coming, Newcastle are coming off of that um, 2-0 loss to Man- Manchester United in the Carabao Cup final, um, which was kind of a brutal game because I want to say that Newcastle had more possession and shots than Manchester United in that game, which, you know, kind of strange to think about, but Newcastle were not bad at all. They just got absolutely shit on by Casemiro. I actually watched this game, Grayson. It literally, every 50-50 ball that Casemiro was involved in, the Newcastle player got absolutely shit on. And you can't allow that to happen. Look, 50-50 balls, they're they're 50-50, right? Make it 100-0. Win that shit. You have to win 50-50 balls. You have to be the more physical team. And, you know, you're going to have to do it against Manchester City because they have a midfield that will love to collapse on 50-50 balls and make you pay for it whenever they win possession every single time. Yeah, it, it look, Newcastle, it, just looking at it, they're in the worst form of the whole top six. They've got one win in their last five in the Prem. That win came on January 15th. It, it's the beginning of March. They've collected six points in a month and a half. 
and that's not going to keep you up there. Man City, on the other hand, has they had the lead in the Prem for a few days before Arsenal picked up three straight wins. Now they find themselves, or Man City finds themselves, five points back from the lead. They're only six points ahead of Man U. It's kind of a must-win for both sides. Yeah, um, but Manchester City are coming off of that four-one win against Bournemouth. Of course, it's Bournemouth who have been, you know, shit this year, but. At least you beat them by a margin that you would expect to beat them by. Look, you scored four goals, only allowed one. That's pretty good. Ah, I, Newcastle are just – I think they're going to get caught here. Manchester City just looked better, and Newcastle can't find form. Um, I'm going to go 2-0 Manchester City. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a few other you know big parts here where Man City is playing for a, a ton here because – Arsenal is facing Bournemouth, the team that they just blew the brakes off of. If Arsenal gets the win here and Man City does not perform, they're looking at a possible eight-point deficit. And at this point in the season, that's a pretty hard one to come back from. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, Man City first in the Prem in goals per match with 2.6. Obviously, Erling Holland, the top scorer in the Premier League with 27 goals. Phil Foden coming off of a... A brace in their fifth round win in the FA Cup. Newcastle obviously coming off that tough loss in the Carabao Cup. I, I think Man City's got it, but I, I think it's going to be 1-0. 1-0, okay, a little bit closer than what I had. I just think you know, a team like Manchester City, just, just on paper, they are made to score goals. And just, you know, with Phil Foden on the wing, De Bruyne in midfield with pa- like wonderful passers of the ball, like Gundogan with him. And Holland, man, it's just it's just so unfair. And the fact that they're second makes me really happy. <laughs> yeah, I will but, say, underrated stat here, though, for Newcastle, Kyrian Trippier is second in the Prem in big chances created with 18 this season. I, I love it. I mean, the, the right backs getting involved in the attack like that are so entertaining to watch. And that's, you know, kind of the new meta. If you can't play offense as a right back, then you're probably not really going to start. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be a, a definitely a trend across the Premier League and just you know soccer in general. So we've got our score predictions in. Let's talk about Chelsea versus Leeds. Uh, to start it off, the injured list is massive in this matchup. Seven inactives for Chelsea, seven inactives for Leeds. Thiago Silva out till mid-April. Uh, Conte and Pulisic still have a few weeks till their returns. And as Piliqueta has a concussion that's going to leave him out for a few more days. On the lead side, they're missing their top goal scorer, Rodrigo, until early April. Pascal Skruik, uh, as close as I'm going to get with that name, is still out from his concussion he suffered on February 8th. And they're missing their center back, Maximilian Wober, uh, who's been on great form with an average match rating of 7.2 in his last six Prem appearances. There is some key factors here missing on both sides. Yeah, and the Chelsea one for me, uh, Thiago Silva getting hurt against Tottenham, that absolutely made it the worst 2-0 loss ever because Thiago Silva has been the most consistent player for Chelsea. Of course, we have other consistent players now like Enzo. He's been absolutely brilliant in my opinion. You, oh my God, Thiago Silva, I can't believe, because that's that's the one part of Chelsea. I want to say Chelsea are fourth in clean sheets this year, and that's with zero offense. And in soccer, I'm sure you know as well as I know, Grayson, that 
offense really is sometimes a good defense. You know, you got to be able to possess the ball. You got to be able to score goals if you want a good defense. And, you know, Chelsea are still fourth. It's all been because of Thiago Silva. And now that he's out on top of the poor form that Chelsea have had, and as a Chelsea fan, I just, I don't fucking know anymore. Of course, the one good thing, uh, Ningolo Conte is back at Cobham training, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, was he on the injury list that you just read off? Yeah, so him and Pulisic are kind of scheduled uh, a mid-March return, so just a couple of weeks left for both of them to come back. Interesting. Well, good thing that Ningolo Conte is already back at training at least. Um, I, I don't really I don't really have much to say. I, I'm kind of upset that Chelsea ended up on the prep sheet because it's the same story. It just keeps getting worse. Um, ah, I don't know. What do you think? What, what's going on on the Leeds side? So, so look, before I get to Leeds, one more thing, I, a, a couple more things, really, I got to say about Chelsea. It blows my mind that Chelsea is still middle of the table when Kai Havertz is the leading goal scorer with five goals. That's ridiculous. On top of it, Chelsea haven't scored in three matches. They only average one goal per game. That's good for 13th in the Prem. But I will say Leeds offense is not any better. They rank 12th in goals per game with 1.2. They haven't scored an away goal in two matches. And they're ranked 13th in shots on target per match with only 3.8. Though Leeds is coming off of a win in the Prem, they had a tough loss to Fulham in the FA Cup, 2-0. I, I, I'm looking at a nil-nil draw. Same, because, look, Chelsea definitely, I, I think even with Thiago Silva still being out, against 17th place Leeds, I think Chelsea can still muster a clean sheet here. But Leeds can definitely muster a clean sheet, because, look, in their last Prem win, it was a 2-0 win over Southampton, which I want to add that Chelsea just recently lost 1-0 to Southampton, so perfect there. But um, in that 2-0 win, the goalie and the back four of all leads were all over or right at like a 7.2 match rating, which is exactly what you need. And a 7.2 average match rating for your goalie and defenders will get you a clean sheet against Chelsea. So I completely agree with you, nil-nil draw. All right. Let's talk Liverpool versus Man United. This one being Ooh. played on Sunday. Uh, a, really a fantastic matchup. Liverpool has been surging up the table. They're now in sixth, and Man United as well. They're on great form. They just won the Carabao Cup. They're in third place with 49 points. There is a lot going on here. Both teams come into this one 3-1-1 one, one in their last five. What's kind of your first impressions on this matchup? My first impressions on this matchup is despite, if you don't count the hilarious 5-2 to two loss that Liverpool suffered to Real Madrid recently, uh, I think that was last week, Liverpool absolutely need Virgil van Dijk, and it speaks volumes. Liverpool have had four clean sheets in a row, which is super impressive. It's a lot of the reason why they've been able to, you know, jump the entire table, it seems like, and get themselves back into sixth place. But Manchester United, as you've just said, also have a lot to play for. If they win and City somehow, you know, fuck up or tie or lose, they could be within three or four points of second place, which is huge for them. And yeah, we're starting to get down to the you know point in the season where these sort of like top seven matchups are going to be really, really fierce, and I I cannot wait for this one. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic matchup. Uh, Liverpool 
They sit in sixth place right now. They're only two points behind Newcastle for fifth for that Europa League spot. And Liverpool is sixth in the Prem in goals per match with 1.7. Man United only sits one spot ahead, also at 1.7. Obviously, a few more uh, decimal points, and we'd have an exact number, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And then Liverpool, as a team, ranked second in big chances created with 62. But got to give it to Man United. Bruno Fernandes is... 17 big chances created is third in the Prem this season. So, look, I I think there's the opportunity for a lot of goals scored. Rashford, obviously, on fantastic form. Bruno as well. I I, got to say, I think this is going to be a high scorer. I think Man United takes it 3-2. 3-2, I like it. Um, I think with with Manchester United coming off of that Carabao Cup win – ended a six-year trophy drought for them and it was it was a good sight to see even as a Chelsea fan Eric Ten Hag hugging Sir Alex Ferguson um, in the tunnel after the game I think that Manchester United are riding high there's no way they'll lose to Liverpool I'm gonna go I'm gonna go 2-1 United yeah I like that and and, you know nothing to scoff at here as well something I just kind of overlooked on accident Man United also got a 3-1 win over West Ham in the FA Cup this week. So a lot of things going their way right now. Uh, I definitely see them coming away with the victory. Yeah, me too. All right, Luke, this brings us to stake your claim. Unless you've got anything else you want to talk about with the Prem this weekend. Yeah, I'm good. Um, you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. I'm excited about this one. I did read some information that kind of could say otherwise, and but I'm going to bring it up because, you know, I, I, I like to read all the facts, even if it makes me look horrible. But I'm going to do it anyway because this is stake your claim. I'm about to stake my fucking claim. So this would have been my stake your claim last week, Grace. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but pre-recording for last week's episode, I told you that there was a free agency, um, a player in free agency in the NFL that has been completely overlooked. Do you remember that? I think so. I can't no. think of who the player was. Okay. I never told you because it actually worked out perfect, so I can do it now. I stake your claim. Josh Jacobs won't be a Raider next year, and when he gets paid by the other team that will come along and snag him, he'll be the highest paid running back of all time. Here's why. So after Josh Jacobs uh, played the Steelers on Christmas Eve, I absolutely loved this game. And here's what Josh Jacobs had to say. I'm tired of dealing with this. Every day I come here and bust my ass and I see guys busting their ass and the result is not there. For me, the last four years, the result has not been there. And quite frankly, I don't know what else to do. So kind of eye-opening there, but just recently, um, literally like, over a month ago, this is what he said. Another quote from Josh Jacobs. I mean, for me, I've got the Raiders seal tatted on me, Jacobs told Good Morning Football. Uh, it is always something I've wanted to be a part of. I want to give back to win uh, and change the culture to get the winning mentality and things like that. I'm fully invested in that. I mean, I just bought a house in Vegas. It's definitely a place that I want to be. Well, I don't know. I, I still think that he's going to leave because another team will offer him a ridiculous contract. Yeah, I, I think that he is getting overlooked on the free agent market just because like he's still a young player. He's only broken out the last two years. And with the season he had this year, there's going to be teams that want him. So 
you know, maybe a team, maybe the Eagles. I think he would be really good on the Eagles. Uh, there's a chance Miles Sanders most likely doesn't stay. I I think the Eagles would be a fantastic destination, but I don't think they have the money to give him that that big contract. Yeah, I, I just think that the Raiders are kind of another one of those teams. We, we you know We've talked about it with the Vikings and the Packers is – have a star running back but it's not they're not utilized to the fullest and i know josh jacobs we we did our running backs list i'm pretty sure he made both of our um he made our top threes i want to say he was maybe your number one yes um yeah so he's definitely like a fantastic player but i would even say that oakland kind of underutilizes him i think they kind of underutilize everybody on that offense in my opinion but i think another team for josh jacobs would be awesome for his career um and awesome for the nfl yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic take. Uh, I don't think Oakland is the spot for him right now. Yeah, well, it's two years. I'm excited. Well, Luke, it, it seems like we've switched our roles here. You typically, you know, I would typically take a football one. I'm taking a soccer one this week. Oh, I love it. Let's hear it. So Marcus Rashford is going to win the Premier League Player of the Year over Erling Holland. I think that the remainder of the season is going to be all Marcus Rashford. He's had some fantastic matches, you know, just across all competitions, but like the win over Newcastle in the Carabao Cup, an 8.5 match rating, that was good for the man of the match. A 9.0 rating against Leicester uh, last Sunday. Just so many things. And Ed, that was actually two weeks ago, not last Sunday. But, look, he's looked phenomenal. Though he's only at 14 goals right now, three assists, the form he's on right now, he's got a chance to probably hit 20 goals. Let's say four, mm, Let's say he jumps up to, like, eight assists. I could definitely see him stealing it from Holland if Holland stays kind of slow. And also, a big contribution to that could be Manchester United winning the Premier League. I love that take. I, I would actually, shit, I would go as far as to say that Marcus Rashford, since the World Cup, has been the best player in the whole world. Yeah. Um, and the, I don't, I need I say less? Is that really even a hot take, honestly? Uh, he's been ridiculous. He scores every game. And there, yeah, no, I, I, I love that take there. That's yeah. a great one. Across all competitions, since January 10th, he's only had his longest streak without a goal, two matches, and it only happened once. Otherwise, he's only had, like, he had multiple weeks. So from February 4th to February 19th, across all competitions, he had a five-match streak of goals. He scored six goals over that, that, um, that time. He is on absolutely fantastic form, and I could definitely see it continuing. And as a soccer fan, you know, I, I've obviously consumed the stats for a while. And what I've noticed in strikers is when you have a striker that has more goals than games played, they're probably one of the best in the world. And that's been Marcus Rashford since the World Cup. And actually, I wanted to bring up a fun fact, Grayson. Before we recorded, I actually was debating between two different stake uh, stake my claims 
I went with Josh Jacobs, but my other one was going to be that England will win the next World Cup and Marcus Rashford will be the reason. He, he'll be like the player of the tournament, I think. Dude, I could see in the near future, maybe not this coming year, Marcus Rashford could win himself a ball and door. I love it. I, he's If he can keep it up, I mean, the sky's the limit. All right. Uh, oh, I do want to shout out a couple guys from the Combine today. It started today. Uh, I didn't really have enough to you know, talk all about it today. But first, so, so it was defensive linemen and linebackers. I really only saw group two, but from group one, the interior defensive lineman, Brian Brze. Moving real fast for a 300-pounder. He ran a 4.86 at 300 pounds. Big boy moving right there. Yeah, as well as that, um, oh, I'm totally blanking on his name. I believe he's out of pit. He ran the fastest of the interior defensive linemen with like a 4.67. Ridiculous speed for how big he was. Who was that? Is that the guy that we were texting about? Uh, no. So that is the next thing I was going to get into. Okay. Nolan Smith out of Georgia. He, okay, so unofficially, he ran a 4-4-4. That was already the fastest among the edge rushers and all defensive linemen. A couple minutes later, we find out the official time, 4.39. That's good for the second best in combine history for a defensive lineman. Damn. And afterwards, he was so mad. He was so mad that he thought he didn't run hard that he slammed his phone on the ground and went to and went and talked to a sideline reporter. Said that he felt like he was only going eighty five percent. Specific, <laughs> like that's ridiculous. And on top of it, a forty one point five inch vertical. Damn, dude. It was wow. ridiculous. That's a fantastic combine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a few other guys I want to talk about real quick. Tyler Lacey out of Oklahoma State. Dude's a fucking unit. Huge, pretty fast for his size, giant edge rusher, immense strength, pretty fast, can can stop, start on a dime. Fantastic guy out there. Um I am going to absolutely butcher this name. Adetomiwa Adebaware out of Northwestern. He, huge, first of all, fast, physical, agile. He looked flawless across all the drills today. He was phenomenal. And then last guy I'm going to talk about, and I really wish I didn't have to give this guy his shine, Brenton Cox out of the University of Florida. Fuck Florida, whatever. He looked real damn good. Big guy, fantastic in the wave drill, which is really big to me for those guys. Uh, it's really about, you know, moving on a dime, stop, start, backpedal, run forward, turn around, like a whole lot of stuff going on in the wave drill as well. Great agility in the four bag agility drill uh, for his size and stature. Like it. Awesome. And I think this is a good time. Now, now that the combine's starting, to say that we will be working on mock drafts and they will come out before uh, the draft. That's a little sneak peek. 
but we won't listening make your mock draft yeah put some mock drafts in the reddit i'd love to see that that'd be so cool all right i think that's gonna do it for us now yeah actually I, i have two shout outs that i forgot about um as we're recording this today is ben roethlisberger's birthday happy birthday ben roethlisberger i love you um i also wanted to shout out john no context at all just shout out john he'll know who i'm talking about facts whoever that is shout out all right it's gonna do it for us we will see y'all next week combines going on plenty of stuff happening the world baseball classic starts next week i believe so whole lot of stuff happening We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Peace.